Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-made year, session number 260. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician or a medical student first. Let's start somewhere. (laughs) Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you for taking time out of your day and including me in your day, playing this podcast in your car, on your stereo, in your headphones, wherever you are listening to this, thank you. I do want to make one quick announcement. Go to mcapbook.com, sign up to be notified when our next book, I'm doing a book with Next Step Test Prep, we're, we're publishing the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT that should be out in not too long of a time. So go to mcatbook.com, sign up to join that waitlist. This week, I'm excited to talk to a doc who's doing things a little bit different. Now, Dr. Denise McDermott is in private practice as a psychiatrist, and she's not following the rules that a lot of people, a lot of physicians are following, and she's doing a lot of interesting things. And so we sat down and we talked about what she's doing and how the establishment has viewed what she's doing and, and how you, as you're going through your pre-med journey, how you can think about the things that she's doing or other physicians are doing that are unique and possibly integrate that into your journey. So let's go ahead and talk to Dr. Denise McDermott about her journey. When I was in kindergarten... I told my parents that I wanted to be a doctor. And then I think I spent the next, I would say, up until third year in college trying to almost like challenge it. Like, should I study biochem? Should I do molecular biology? I did get a scholarship to possibly get a PhD. But then I really, really loved the idea that by pursuing medicine, you had so many options. I just thought it was such a better fit. So I think it was really young age. So I kind of just knew. Did did you have any exposure? Were your parents in healthcare? Did you have an aunt and, or uncle in healthcare? Yeah, Uncle Ray. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Uncle Ray, everyone. 
He is a dermatologist in the Chicago area, and he was so, so, so hoping that I would come in, and he's in private practice and sort of like keep it all in the family, and it was just, he was so excited when I was in medical school, and I remember trying to please, I'm kind of a pleaser, I'm sure a lot of us are that pick healing professions. I was going through my medical school rotations, and I was trying to do that like amazing article like on something, it was called pilometricoma. I was going to have to do something for that so I could like shine like a star to become a dermatologist. Well, I, you can sort of tell by my voice, I'm pretty passionate about things. And that topic just sat in my backpack. It was not exciting me. And so at that point, I'm like, I just can't do it. I need to do things I'm passionate about. So my uncle was a huge influence in the way he is such a kind hearted, loving doctor. His patients love him. He loved dermatology. So I think my uncle was a huge role model. And um, then I picked uh, Dalton Child Psychiatry, and that's a whole nother journey. So, yeah, discussion. What what drew you to that? Well, it's a really great uh, story. I think the most important thing when you're going through your rotations in medical school to keep an open mind. I envisioned myself possibly doing pediatrics. I really loved emergency medicine. When I was going through the rotations, I got an A in surgery. But you know what happened, Ryan? Every rotation I did, there'd be some unique situation where, I'll give you an example. This little girl, I was on PEDS, third-year med student, and all it said on the chart, you have to go in there with your little white coat. I remember those little white coats. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it said, you know, stomach ache. So I go in there, and I start talking to her, and all of a sudden, she started telling me she was being bullied at school. She had just moved here from Africa. She had other kids that were just making fun of her skin color, and she told me that she tried to kill herself that morning, and that's why her stomach was aching. Mm. And so what happened was all my rotations started being like that, internal medicine. They're like, what is going on with this man? Like, why is he losing weight? So I would go in there and really connect, and I actually just want to make a point that I really think when looking back, if you're just being really human and really connecting with someone on a soul-to-soul level when you're taking your history and they trust you, people will tell you what is going on. And so in internal medicine, this man, he'd lost like 40 pounds. No one knew why. Well, it turned out he was an alcoholic. And so I would come out of like lots of like rooms with my little white coat. <laughs> and a lot of them had to do with like behavioral health issues, or someone was suicidal. And then, of course, it's really important, everyone in medical school, that when you kind of start to zoom in on, oh, for me, like, I think I want to do psychiatry, pick a mentor that you look up to and see if during that rotation you can get guidance to really help you have some clear path to make that really important decision. Wow. That's, uh, that's good advice. Looking back on, on your journey through medical school and residency and fellowship, what do you think was the hardest part for you? I honestly feel like there's two things that were tough. Okay. So the first semester of medical school, it was such a shift from undergrad, going from undergrad up to med school. You know, when I had straight A's in high school and in college, that first semester gross anatomy was really tough because I wasn't as much of a 3D learner. And so I kind of hit my personal like, oh my gosh, this is like really hard. And so this is really funny, everyone. My mom knew that I was having a tough time. So she drove eight hours to come see me with a care package. And she brought me this little plant. And I remember thinking, Ryan, oh, no, how am I going to take care of patients? Like, like, I don't even know if I can keep a plant alive right now. (laughs) 
I, I didn't even have enough groceries. It's really funny. So you guys, if you ever go through times where like, you're not like maybe having the best groceries or your plants dying and you're like so overwhelmed because you're studying so much. I mean, now I have, we have three kids, a Newfoundland, two cats, two rats, a hamster. I have a full practice and I am now doing all the other things. So even if you go through a tough time, it can get better. And then the other second time that was really tough was I think my first um, internship. So first year of medical school transition and then starting that first set of rotations where, you know, it was really, really sad. I remember the first month in internal medicine. I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but someone wrote down FTD and I'm like, isn't that like a floral brand? I didn't know what that was. And I'm like, it's failure to die. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Like I got so sad that, you know, my third year um, intern at the time was like saying that because she's like, why aren't these people dying? They're like just living. And so uh, I think we had 13 people that died that month and they were supposed to. It was their time. I just want to be respectful, you know, and I think learning that you kind of, I think her approach to being in that situation was just to write the FTD. Whereas Ryan, I'm going to tell you, I'm an empath. I would be getting people like their favorite Sprite on their last, you know, they were worried about me. Like I wasn't leaving the hospital soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think, you know, you got to take care of yourself because when you're dealing with that many sick patients, if you've never been around that much death. I think you need to prepare yourself. You need to get out and get fresh air. You need to get exercise. You need to make sure you eat your protein. So I think a lot of times doctors, you know, don't take the best care of themselves. So I would say start your routines now and know your own kind of weaknesses and strengths going into it. Yeah. Are you glad you went down this journey, even though it sounds like your life is taking you in a different direction now? Well, I mean, I have seen, I mean, I've seen 40,000 hours worth of patients and I've got a lot of people that I've been in their lives. So, I mean, I can't imagine doing it any other way. I mean, I love it. This other part is a bigger calling. This, this next step of my career is something that's bigger than me. It's driving me in a different direction. I, it's hard to even put into words what's happening. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. As you were going through the process of looking at schools to go to and for undergrad and for, for medical school, how, when you were going through that process, how did you lean on your uncle, if at all, because he had been through that process to get information or who were you leaning on for information? Well, I will say that I just followed my own inner voice. I, my uncle, he actually, to be honest with you, was like, don't go into medicine he was like, it's just changed and managed care and all this. <laughs> and so he was kind of like, don't do it. Right. So at that point, I just, I honestly just knew I wanted to be a doctor and that I wanted to help. And I think, how do I say, who did I lean on? I'm going to just share like a more of a life story. I think my father's alcoholism and him getting sober when I was 11, he almost died. He was in the intensive care unit. He had delirium tremens. And I grew up, you know, the oldest in a home with alcoholism, which by the way, everyone, when we were in uh, medical school, they had us all raise our hand in behavioral science. We're like, how many people here have a parent with alcoholism? And one fourth of the class raised their hand. So it was really interesting. And so I think sometimes for all of us, when we're making decisions, we have family systems issues or just things that we've really like almost been inspired by. So I'd say my dad getting sober 
And then living another over 30 years was so inspiring. And I think I had that at the time. I didn't go around thinking of myself as, oh, my dad's an alcoholic. I just thought he was my dad. And so I think I naturally had the inclination to taking the shame away. And all my friends, I don't know um, if you're familiar. Are you familiar with Ann Landers? She's a big Chicago Mm -hmm. journalist. Okay, so basically my parents called me little Ann Landers. (laughs) Because all my friends would would call me for advice. So you asked a question, sort of what guided me through med school or deciding, number one, I love science. Number two, I love helping other people. Number three, you know, I had the experience of my father getting sober. And then I just loved helping when people called. And then just sort of, it's really interesting when you look back at like, what were the core ingredients that led me to where I'm at now? Wow, that's interesting. So you've you've taken a very different path after your training me- medicine is the the kind of quintessential you fit everybody into the same square hole kind of thing where you go through all of your training you come out you work for a practice you take insurance you 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 work as a doctor and you you treat patients you go home and you do it all over again but you have gone off and done your own wonderfully crazy stuff how how have you kept yourself in such a very different world, even though you are a a physician who has gone through all of the classic training that a physician goes through. Are you talking about what I'm currently doing? Yeah. All this fun stuff that you're doing. Oh my gosh, everyone. I'm having so much fun. I can't even tell you. Like, First of all, I love my practice. I have a private practice. I'm in Manhattan Beach. I have two offices, one in Redondo and one in Manhattan Beach. And I didn't need two offices, but I did that for quality of life. So I want everyone to listen, that make sure you set your intentions of how much fitness you want to get, how much fun you want, prioritize your family when you're making different career decisions. So I have a really cool private practice. I've been in practice since 2001. I see 60% children and teens and Uh, 40% adults. And by the way, everyone, if you have not decided what to go into, we need child psychiatrists in this country. There's a shortage. There's only 8,300 child psychiatrists. I think it's for either 15 or 30 million. I have to look at my blog post. And so we really need to have early intervention because 50% of all mental health issues, lifelong mental health issues start before age 14. So if you have any inclination to psychiatry, please, please, please consider adult and child psychiatry. I just need to pitch that because we need more people. And then, yes, Ryan, thank you. I'm having so much fun. So I've got my private practice. And I'm going to tell you what what Ryan's talking about is I launched from doing a really lovely private practice into deciding I wanted to take my tips, tools, and knowledge from my office and from being a mother and bring that to a wider audience. And it's a whole path, Ryan. I got asked to be part of this university that was kind of really ahead of its time with like quantum physics and things. That's like a whole nother show. But I thought that was too ahead of its game. And so in the process, I met a publicist that says, oh, my gosh, you know, you could really make an impact. And so for everyone listening, I went on this path where I had this publicist and she wanted me to go on CNN. And I'm like, no, that vibration doesn't feel right yet. And so what I did was I built a content-driven site, drdenisemd.com. It has blogs. It has videos. I did. I co-produced a meditation and psychiatry documentary this year. I was very fortunate. I got invited to go to India last year. I went to the Dalai Lama's Body Mind Life Conference. 
And I got to spend 10 days with the coolest humanitarian monk. His name's Lama Tenzin Chagall. It's all on my site, everyone. I've got blogs about this. And I was fortunate to go to a children's orphanage. I donate money to there. And I got to see kind of the path of what's going on with how people are treated in India and also the holistic approach, prevention, good nutrition, sleep, because I'm very, very passionate about holistic health and prevention and sort of how can people stay out of my office. And so then I really wanted to meet other cool people like Ryan, right? Like how do we meet movers and shakers in the world? And I wrote out, I'm going to call it a spiritual mission statement because I really said, how can we integrate more kindness and compassion into medicine, into everything we do in our lives? And as I started writing it out, I started thinking about, because of course I'm a child psychiatrist, I work with kids at age five and six, how can we integrate these ideas into schools, into hospitals, and just kind of into the way we think, right? So essentially we're talking about being mindful, being kind and loving. And so since I started this and I now have 32 shows, I then took my blog posts and I made them into a book, Mental Health and How to Thrive, and I set an intention to have some blogs, some really nice blogs to share with everyone in India. I thought it's very important, you know, as a Western medicine trained doctor to go to India with some of our knowledge and our data, right? And so I offered that as a free ebook. And then I am, oh my gosh, Ryan, lately I've met the coolest people everyone on my show. So the goal is to kind of change the way we think, talk and health and think, talk and act about mental health and collective well-being. So I I had, I don't know if you saw this, Ryan, but my first guest was an MMA fighter. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a pioneer in MMA fighting. And the reason why is I wanted to, so many men don't want to talk about mental health. And Gary Goodrich, you know, has, you know, we can't diagnose CT until autopsy, but he has the depression and dementia because back in the day they used to do three fights in a night. And so on this journey of doing a podcast, I have interviewed professional athletes. I'm really good friends with this NBA player that's playing in China right now, and he's doing a yoga and fitness documentary. And so I, and I have scientists, I'm at the Oracle of Tibet. And so what I'm doing is I'm really doing what I set out to do, which is meet other people who don't want to talk about what they're doing. They just want to be the change and inspire one another. So I've cut back my practice. My husband's like, oh my gosh, sweetheart, like, what are you doing? Like, you're not making as much money, da, 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 da. (laughs) But to be honest with you, I know that I'm investing in the future for our children. And when I say our children, I mean our children and, you know, on this planet and whatever your beliefs are about sentient beings. So it's a much bigger calling at this point. And um, I would say the biggest teacher in my life, though, Ryan, right now is my son. And he's inspired me to take my career to this next level. I adopted him at birth, and he is very good-looking, charismatic, witty, but he is hyperactive. I knew that going into it. I had the birth mom history, and he is thriving, but it's a lot of work. So I thought, boy, oh boy, I can, I need to help more people because I'm walking the walk. Not only am I a child psychiatrist who, you know, trained at UCLA, and you know, I was at the ADHD expert clinic and all this, and everyone seeks out my opinion. But then I went eyes wide open into adopting this beautiful boy who is just such a sweetheart. And I'm so passionate, everyone, for people with different learning styles or behavior. And I don't like the word disorder, everyone. So I don't know what it's going to be like when you go to medical school. When I was in training, it was very illness focused instead of wellness focused. And I know that's shifting with all the mindfulness and everything. 
but I like to use words like neuro style. And so the other thing that I did, Ryan, is I have an artist, I have all these image assets with different words that vibrate at a non-judgmental level. And so I'm really making, that's one of my big intentions in, from reaching people on the global level. Yeah. How can somebody listening to this who's a pre-med who isn't even in medical school yet and hasn't picked a practice, hearing what you're doing with your life, how can they figure out if they want to do fun, interesting things like you're doing as they're being beaten over the head going through medical training? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I say start your LinkedIn. I tell all the college kids and high schoolers, I'm like, build your brand now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think if you have something that you're passionate about and, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be medicine focused. I mean, it might be some cool hobby that you have. So if you are really working hard at your academics and churning out the A's that you need to or doing your fitness, but you want a creative outlet and you love doing something like radio or podcast, you can start your own show at any time. And, you know, people are doing YouTube videos at such young ages. But, you know, I think being true to yourself and not doing it just to do it, to say, oh, I've done a podcast or I've done it, but do it because it's what you want to do. Because your life, when you're studying that hard to get the grades you need to get to go to medical school, you need to take care of yourself. And I think the more you take care of yourself, then the better you know doctor to be, you, you will evolve to be. Yeah. Have you, going through this journey and kind of breaking the mold of, of what I think society thinks a physician should be doing, have you faced resistance from other physicians or, or negativity from other physicians that are looking at you going, why are you doing this? Like, you, you should be in the clinic and taking insurance and doing all these other things. You know, I have to, I'm smiling when you say this. You know, my husband's always called me a corner case. So I don't talk with other people what I'm doing. I, I'm very, I grew up in the Midwest and I... I honestly, just the way I was brought up, I don't tell a lot of people. I give them my card or if it comes up organically. But when I'm around colleagues, I don't try to pitch myself. If I think they'd be incredible guests, then of course I ask them to be on the show. But the answer is no, I haven't had any resistance. But I think by the nature of me being on my own solo, um, you know, I haven't drawn attention to it. But I have had amazing colleagues. I just had Dr. Jess Shatkin, who's full professor at NYU, that um, I trained with at UCLA on my show, incredible show. But do I think if I was at UCLA working full time or at Kaiser or something, would people be like, what is she doing? Absolutely. They'd be like, is she trying to be like, you know, the superstar? I mean, I, th I think, I don't know for sure, but I think there's always judgment. People judge, like, why would you do that? Right. But if you hear my reasons and if you go to my site, you'll see that there's a lot of education. I mean, it's like, for people who maybe couldn't afford to come see me, I mean, there's so much information on there, you know, like what to do, what to expect. And so I feel like it's an act of public service. I think a lot of people might really think it's a great thing, too. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned you're married, your husband. How how has he been able to support you through this journey? A, a lot of people listening to this right now have families. A lot of non-traditional students listen to this podcast. They have a husband, they have a wife, they have kids already as they're starting off this journey. How has he been able to help you to support you through this process to allow you to do what you want to do? Well, my husband has his own company. He's a very bright man. 
and he works from home and he's already done some startups. So I would say he's an incredibly devoted father. So we have a parent, one of us is home at all times, which is really lovely. I mean, that sounds, even saying it out loud, sounds a little bit dreamy. So we have the flexibility that a lot of people wouldn't have if they had to go, if my husband was working like a nine to five, then we'd probably have a nanny and see that one. I'm not against nannies because I had a nanny when my son was little, but the way our family systems lined up is we set our priorities to be there for our kids. So he supports me by when I went to India, he watched my son, our son, and he's just an amazing man. He's also really good at like all the tech stuff. Like, <laughs> like if something's going on when I'm recording something, I'm like, sweetheart, what's going on with the wire? I mean, he's like the man with all the technology. And so I just think, and he just believes in me and um, we support each other. When he has work emergencies, I'll do what, what he needs. We're really flexible with that. That's nice. What are you hoping in in the grand scheme of things if as, as you're painting the picture of your life for the future how do you see medicine continuing to fit into it Well I actually see that I'm going to keep my long-term patients I just turned down 25 new clients in the last month because I was pitching a show so I see myself continuing because I have patients that only see me like two or three times a year that I've just known their families and they're stable and they just are like, I've, you know, they've sort of grown up with me, so to speak. And so I think right now, I think I'd probably see patients probably two days a week or maybe one and a half in the future with all the different projects I'm currently doing. I'm, um, I'm very passionate about getting the word out. I'm about to do some YouTube videos with my childhood friend who won an Emmy for her journalism. And we are just about to record our first podcast, uh, Staying Sane, um, together. I have my own doc- The Dr. Denise Show on iTunes, but we're going to morph that. I'm going to take and do an episode on The Dr. Denise Show, and I think we're going to do something with what's going on in the world milieu environment. I don't know when this is going to launch, but we I just want to pause and you know, really just send some love out to everyone with all the tragic events that have been going on. So with the Vegas shooting, with the hurricanes, I really want to take what my friend knows as a journalist and then what I know to do in talking about things and offering tips and mindfulness and mindset strategies. I really want to reach a global audience. So I see my private practice um, being there and but I see that this other part of my career is really where it's at right now. That's awesome. What do you have to say for the the pre-med out there who's struggling on his or her journey to to motivate them to to have them keep going that this is a, a the right path? Well, I think they need to make sure it is the right path because I will tell you, I remember there was a gentleman named Trevor in my medical school class and he got into third year, Ryan, and he didn't want to be a doctor. He Mm. was doing it because his mom and dad, there was pressure to go into medicine and he picked a career path based on what his parents wanted him to do. So one of the most important things I would say to everyone listening is really make sure that this is what you want to do, not what someone's telling you you should do. And then with that being said, know that everyone struggles, everyone doubts themselves, no matter what kind of incredible grades you're getting or what kind of superstar you are, you know, you're going to have a tough day, you know, 
And so I think, remember that, that it's not always going to be positive. You're not always going to get the A's that you're maybe used to. Um, so I have to tell you, I don't know, Ryan, did you play sports? I was a baseball player. Yeah. Okay. So see, I will say, and I'm not saying that people that play music instruments, but my resiliency factor, I think I played varsity soccer all four years in high school. I could have played in college. I think my kind of athletic mindset of discipline and perseverance really helped kind of like the marathon that it takes to go into medical school and to residency and fellowship. All right, so there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Denise McDermott. You can find out more about her at drdenisemd.com. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to go to mcatbook.com, sign up for the waitlist to be notified when the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT comes out soon. It's coming out soon as we're recording this at mid-November. So again, go check it out, mcatbook.com. If the sign-up isn't there, hopefully the book is available and it'll just take you to learn how to buy the book. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years where I talk to a student who went from a 2.7 undergraduate GPA to now being a first-year medical student at an allopathic, an MD medical school. And I mention that because some of you are still worried about getting into an MD school versus a DO school. I don't know why you are, but she went from a 2.7 undergrad GPA and some terrible MCAT scores and now is a first year in medical school. So join us next week for that. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.